This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And welcome back to an episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. Rose Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Uh, that's a really good question. I honestly don't know. I mean, we just we keep giving ourselves hope. We keep giving you guys hope. And then every time, I mean, someone I thinks on someone on Twitter thinks me giving people hope is the reason <laughs> the Jets are bad. You know what? I kind of agree with them because ever since we started this podcast, they have been historically bad. Um, but obviously, Sunday was just an absolute train wreck. I mean, probably just the worst case scenario. Just a thousand injuries, including the only guy that was really, I mean, not the only guy, but the main guy everybody wants to watch. Even if the Jets are one in 13, I'm still going to watch if Zach Wilson's playing. So obviously, Zach Wilson goes down and the Jets just show no heart, get absolutely demolished, embarrassed. Bill Belichick's running trick plays and throwing deep up 40 points. Um, so it was just an awful experience. I mean, at what point did you turn the game off or did you watch the entire way through? Yeah, I did manage to watch all the way through, but I, I leaned towards red zone in the, by probably by the end of the third quarter, you I know, can't even, you're in, that, you're in that mode where it's like, you know, I'll, I'll switch back to it at some point, but I, it was, I did get to the point where I almost want to not watch it. There aren't many jets games that I just turn off. I mean, I, I think about when I was a kid, like when I was watching the 45 to three Jets Pats game in 2010, granted the Jets were like good then. Um, I watched that entire game. Like, I mean, my, my dad turned it off. I went to another room and just watched him get shellacked. Um, there aren't many games that I turned it off, but that one, I just, after Mike White's second interception, I was just like, I'm done. And I don't even switch to red zone. If I do that, it's just like football's over for the day for me. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, obviously the big new recording this Monday, the big news you want to call it that is that the jets assigned joe flacco so we can talk about that in a minute we can talk about zach wilson's injury but I, michael i mean look I, I i do still love the head coach they hired i still believe in the gm they hired i really do believe that these are the right guys i don't actually think that they've been when you look at joe douglas because he's coming under a lot of criticism after a performance like this I'm sorry. I, I still don't hate a lot of the moves he's made. I think he could have been more aggressive in other areas. I think that 2020 draft class could look a little better, but I absolutely love this year's draft class. I think he's made some great free agent signings, some great under the radar, you know, like undrafted free agent signings like Bryce Huff or bringing a guy on waivers like John Franklin Myers. Like he's overall done good, more good than bad. And I love his process. And he has, he inherited an awful job and he has, all these assets um, this offseason to build on, but it's still just unacceptable. I mean, how are they still this bad? I don't really know what the issue is, but it's, I mean, you put an article out today on Jets X Factor that they are literally on pace to be worse than they were last year, which I think that'll change. I think the second half of the season, they hit a little easier schedule. Zach Wilson comes back, but what is wrong? I mean, what is happening with this team, Michael? 
Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. Injuries were a big part of it, and it is a cop-out answer, but it very much was a huge part of the product we saw yesterday. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner, Carl Lawson, Jared Davis, Vinnie Curry, C.J. Mosley. Um, that's half of the projected starting defense that wasn't out there in this game. So that definitely does have a huge effect, and it is worth taking into account. But it obviously doesn't explain or excuse losing by 41 points to a team that only has one win this season outside of your own team. Um, and that, that win was against the Texans. So um, it, in this game, I, I really feel like coaching was a huge part of it. And obviously there are a lot of bad individual performances we can and will talk about. But on both sides, I feel like the coaching was and the play calling was and the game plan was pretty bad. I mean, Michael Ford just comes out after having a whole bye week to prepare and does the same exact thing to open the game. Run, run, pass. Zach Wilson throws out third and long. And he did pull out some more stuff later. But again, to start the game with just the run heavy, the predictability, um, going with the same trends that they had um, prior to the bye week and not changing it up at all. And then defensively, this is the second straight week that I think the defensive game plan has been pretty poor relative, you know, for the opponent that they're playing, you know, they're facing a Patriots team that gashed them with screens and draw plays in the first game. Um, and has always, you know, succeeded with those type of plays and they come out in this game and they get quite blitz heavy on third downs consistently and let themselves consistently get destroyed by those plays. Um, so it was a very poor coaching performance, I think on both sides, but obviously the execution I think the pass rush in this game was very bad. Uh, Quinn and Williams had three pressures. Other than that, Bryce Huff, zero. Sheldon Rankin, zero. Shaq Lawson, zero. John Franklin Myers, one. That's not going to get it right. done at all. Um, so the pass rush was really bad. The corners had, I think, their second straight game where they kind of fell off uh, from their hot start a little bit. And then offensively, the O-line still isn't creating holes in the run game. I honestly don't think the pass protection was that terrible but the run blocking wasn't there. Uh, Elijah Moore was slipping on routes, even though he made the touchdown. Um, he did slip on a few routes that led to incompletions. Everything in this game was off. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you were even kind of generous to the pass protection. Cause I honestly don't feel like it was, I guess it wasn't horrific. We've definitely seen worse, but it still was bad. I mean, it's just so lackluster and like you touched on a lot of different things and I obviously want to hop into the coaching and the, the player stuff, but Let's let's stick with with Joe Douglas for a second because I'm curious to get your thoughts on. I think a lot of Jets fans are impatient, rightfully so, um, and I think some are maybe losing their faith in Joe Douglas, which maybe isn't fair after you know six games of this. But it's like you know since he's come in as GM, I would say the first season definitely not at him. So you can't. 2019 is not his fault. 2020, okay, he's tearing everything down. I understand that. This season, I think the excuse I would give him would be that. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to give him excuses, but I guess the rationalization would be like, look, there's so many holes in this team. You can only fill so many. And if you try to fill everything, you're going to wind up with some bad contracts, overpaying some veterans. You're not going to, you know, he focused on a few key areas, but he neglected tight end. He neglected upgrading at right guard and center. He, we would have been rolling with George Fan at right tackle if Morgan Moses didn't shake free. I mean, it wasn't like he was aggressive in targeting him during the spring. It was a right before training camp edition. Um, so I, I think he's due for some criticism, but like I'm far from the point of like Joe Douglas is a bum. You know, you see what he's done with the trades and the decisions he's made with, you know, even like 
letting Robbie Anderson go. Obviously, that got a lot of flack last year. But like, what has Robbie Anderson done this year? Or trading Sam Darnold since his hot start, he's done nothing. Jamal Adams is a complete joke at this point. I mean, obviously he's still a good safety, but he's nothing compared to what he was here. And the deal that Joe Douglas got was elite. The trades for Chris Hearn. I mean, he's done a lot of good and obviously this draft class, but do you think the criticism is warranted? I mean, what would be your biggest criticisms of Joe Douglas? Because at a certain point it's like, okay, all those rationalizations make it make sense. Next year will be, you know, the real time. If it's still a shit show next year, I don't think he would go, but that's when I could understand the hot seat really getting there. There's no chance that Johnson's firing before the end of, of 2022 in my eyes. But I mean, what excuse can you give from a, a management side to, to being this bad? I mean, his record, I mean, if we're not going to count his first season because he, he wasn't technically didn't build that roster, he only has three wins with his guys. So, I mean, how do you defend Joe Douglas? I mean, it's really hard because the results are absolutely terrible, obviously. 3-19 these past two years. Most of those losses are blowouts. Um, so it is hard to defend, but I, when you dig into it, it does make sense to give him some more time to figure it out because, like you said, last year was a teardown year. He didn't put much of an effort into building that team um, because he wanted to put his own stamp on the roster. He wasn't necessarily tanking, but he also wasn't going all in to improve that team. And the team he inherited was very bad. I mean, you and I were watching the 2019 Bills game on Game Pass a few days ago, and most of the guys on the field in that game were are either not in the league right now and, or they're backups. And if they are starting, they're bad starters. So he inherited right. an awful team, didn't make much of an effort to improve it in the first season because he knew he had a six-year deal, wanted to play it patiently. Uh, and then he started to make an effort this year. And the team has been absolutely ravaged by injuries. The starting quarter, you know, they've rookie head coach, rookie offensive coordinator, which is something that in hindsight now going with the rookie offensive coordinator. Um, look, I don't not many people criticized that decision. I know I didn't. Uh, I that did was like see, a big positive to hiring Salah. Yeah, I, I think not a lot of people were complaining about that. So it is, you know, kind of with hindsight now that we're talking about it, but it does and also, like and also coaching staff matters are on Sala. I mean, generally speaking, I'm mean, obviously the Jets on this lesson with Matt rule is the head coach picks his staff, not Joe Douglas. Yeah. So look, the bottom line is this, this is awful and there's, there's no excuse for it. It's not fun to watch and it's atrocious, but with all that being said, when you really unpack it in terms of how the blame goes to Joe Douglas, it still feels like the plan is a few years away and that it is progressing about, you know, it, which feels weird to say after they're one of five and lost by 41. But, um, you know, it, it does take some time for this to play out. Right. Kyler Murray, like uh, PFF put a tweet about this earlier. Him and his first year was graded as the number 31 quarterback in the league. Zach Wilson's number 28 right now this year. So this stuff can take a couple right. of years to play out. Right. And, and there's not really many decisions, I guess I would say, that I really question of his. I mean, the 2020 draft, those mid rounds are some of the, the ones that I would give him some criticism on. But outside of that, it's like, I, I think kind of what we were saying earlier about his philosophy for this year to not try to overextend himself and uh, overexhaust some resources, trying to take a awful team and make him a, a great team immediately and just try to fill every single hole. He focused on some key holes. He's trying to build a program here, a culture. But you know, one of the side effects of that, not just having poor starters, but your depth suffers. 
you know, I mean, the Jets offensive line depth is awful. Their tight end depth is awful. When you have these injuries, I mean, who the hell is going to be playing linebacker this, this week? I mean, with CJ Mosey out, Jamie Sherwood's now out. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Draw Davis is still out. Uh, Hamza Nazaldeen is still out. Blake Cashman, Blake Glassman, I guess we should say he's out. I mean, like, so there's depth issues across the board. And I think, you know, the inexperience with coaching is, is definitely rearing its ugly head. These are the, the growing pains. I guess everybody was talking about. LaFleur for me is easily the most disappointing because Ulbrich, I've actually thought he's, I, I, I think you're right. I think the last two weeks uh, have been pretty bad game plan. I think the Jets defense has become easier to figure out. I mean, it's a lot of screens, a lot of dump offs um, inside zone, you know, because there's so much of a pressure in this defense on the linebackers. They, I mean, they just have so much on them, especially when you don't have CJ Mosley, but even when he's out there, there's still either, you know, one or two other linebackers out there. It's easy to just, take the dump offs, run the ball, utilize play action um, on this defense. And I think teams have started to figure it out a little bit, but for the most part, he's made, uh, you know, the best of of a a bad situation. And I think they will continue to get better, but the offense to me has been perplexing. I mean, it's, it's so bad that even the Mike white touchdown pass, we were talking about this earlier, even the one that he threw to Corey Davis. I hate that play call. That's an awful play call. Like to have him just naked boot roll left, and he, I mean, that should have been an interception. The way, when he put it up there, I was, I was just like, oh my God. Um, and he kind of got lucky there. And then there's just a few other things where it's like, you know, he throws the, the, the screen to Jameson Crowder. And keep in mind, this is like they had two weeks to prepare for the Patriots. And this is the product they came out with, even when Zach was on the field. Um, they throw the, the bubble screen to Jameson Crowder, and you have Elijah Moore blocking. It's yeah. Like, well, if you're not going to throw the ball to Denzel Mims, maybe put him out there because Denzel Mims is a great blocker. The, the, refusal to use Denzel Mims there's a lot of things where I think the most concerning thing is his stubbornness it's it reeks of like you know a coaching staff that thinks they're smarter than everybody else um and that may be true this may be as solid put it the best offense of the world but with the results they're getting and what you're putting your rookie quarterback through you have to make adjustments and the fact that this was what they put out after the bye week and they talked about how they've they think they figured it out the the fast start and you know, Corey Davis saying we're ready and all that, you know, nonsense. It's like you come out and you're pretty much just doing the same thing. And you're leaving, you're leaving Ryan Griffin one-on-one with Matthew Judon, which is got your, your franchise quarterback injured. You know, there's just every single week, there's just head scratching decision after head scratching decision. And look, Zach Wilson has been far from perfect. He needs to learn to take the underneath stuff. I think with Joe Flacco running this offense, we'll see if he plays this week, the offense actually will look better because I think Flacco will just take the check downs and will do what you've seen Mac Jones do and just keep the chains moving instead of trying to go home run ball every time. But at the end of the day, the fact that Zach Wilson is still not getting that message falls on coaching because either they're not hammering it home enough or they're not doing enough to manufacture those touches. So, and I don't really feel like the, I mean, the offense isn't great, but personnel wise, they're not this bad. And it, that falls on coaching and it falls primarily on Michael floor. So what have been your impressions on, on the floor's offense uh, through six games? Yeah. I think the last thing you said is the most important point here because I, I, no one expects this to be an elite jets offense, especially the rookie quarterback, but with the guys they have there, this is not the least talented offense in the league. And yet they're playing like the worst offense in the league by far, or maybe the bears are in their category, but even so, like with the depth they have a receiver with an offensive line that is not good, but is not the worst in the league. Um, Vera Tucker's playing at a great level and F- yeah. Fant and McGovern have been solid and Moses has been all right. It's like, I mean, Greg Van Roten has sucked, but there are a lot of offensive lines that have one turnstile and they just find ways to, to move around it. Right. So uh, it does a lot come down to just 
the play calling, the game plan, a lot of the lack of production falls on that. So I think if you're looking for something to be legitimately concerned about, it's definitely Mike LaFleur because, you know, they're, they're really stuck in, you know, in between a rock and a hard place with him because you're not obviously firing him right now in the middle of the season. And you kind of have to roll with him into next season because do you really want to put Wilson into a new scheme to start a second season? No. I mean, if the floor is so atrocious that you're forced into it, maybe, but that's and, not and, ideal. And here's the other thing is that he's a close family f- friend of Robert Sala. And we've right. seen it with literally every single other Jets coaching staff. And maybe we didn't call it enough, but Sala's not firing the floor. I mean, like you said, if they're god awful at the end of next year, he's going to have no choice. But it's going to take a lot for him to fire the floor. I guess it helps that he's on a different side of the ball, you know, because the other times we've seen it with Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers and uh, with uh, Adam Gase and Dow Loggins, you know, how much of a change would that have made? I'm not sure, but at least they were on the same side of the ball. So it, you know, didn't really affect much. But LaFleur is the head coach of the offense. And the fact that it, they're this bad is just. I don't trust Sol- that Sala will fire him if he's if he's really struggling. But I, like you said, I, you don't want to put Wilson into a new scheme second year. So Lafleur's here for for at least through next year. Yeah, so Lafleur is here for the long run, at least like you said next year. So he's important, and you need him to be performing well, just like you need any important long term player on this team to be playing well. And he's not. And you know the optimistic thing is he's just as young in terms of you know coaching years and experience and in the role that he's in as a lot of the rookies on this roster. So there is that hope that he can progress and he can get better. And even in this game, I do continue to see that hope for him. The fact that, you know, I don't know why it takes him so long to pull the stuff out to make these adjustments, but still in this game, there was improvement as the game went on a little bit. He did end up um, doing some of the things we want him to do less play action, more quick passes in those areas. He did uh, kind of improve over the previous few games, looking only at the dropbacks that Wilson was in there. Um, because obviously Mike White was just a check down King when he came in, but even with the Wilson and the play action, the quick pass play action was down a little bit. Quick passing was up a little bit. They went empty a few more times. Right. So more there spread. was some progress. Yeah. It was more spread out. So there was some progress and we're still only six games into a 17 game season. So let's see if he can, you know, make some progress. Even if the Jets win three or four games a season, if the last five, six games of the year, they can establish themselves as a completely different team than what we are seeing right now, what they show in the middle of the season, then I think that's all you really need to feel like, all right, they're trending in the right direction. Obviously, you know, you would love to see that as early as possible and losing by 41 isn't fun or accomplishing anything, but there's still a lot of season left. And I still think there's, plenty of time for them to do the accomplish the things that they need to accomplish this season for it to be considered a successful season. I think the minimum is for to have a run that really feels like legitimate progress that can be carried over. I feel like in three games in a row. Yeah. Three, three or four. You think three games is enough or four. If they look good in four straight games, I'll take it. But like, uh, and I, I guess we'll, it'll bleed into this conversation, but as far as Zach Wilson's injury timeline, I originally, I was like, okay, he'll probably come back. He'll miss the Bengals game, obviously Thursday night football short week, but then after that little mini buy, he can come back. But then I'm like, maybe, maybe you give him that one off too, because it's also like you give him another week to fully recover and you don't have to f- walk him right into Buffalo. Then he comes do, out do of that. Do you think that they think with that mentality though? I um, think, I think that's part know, of the avoid Buffalo. No, not, not completely. It, look, if he's completely healthy, he's going to play, but it's just like, Look, it's a lost season. 
And I don't know if it's worth trotting him out there if he's not 100% healthy, which he probably won't be for the rest of the season, but he'll at least be closer every single week. And it's like, why would you trot him out there against Buffalo, who's a Super Bowl contender, when you can just wait and then he gets to come back? And Because I, I think a big thing with Zach Wilson is his confidence. So then he can come back against Miami at home. He can play Houston. Then I think they go to Philly. I mean, it gives him a nice little stretch there. Um I think I think that plays in the decision making. I think he I think he does wait until uh, Miami, which is also I think when Beckton is supposed to come back. So um, that that might be a little nice nice punch for them. But I, I guess I mean let's talk about Flacco. I guess I mean if you have anything else on the floor you want to get into, but I think it's safe to say that there are some concerning signs: the stubbornness, um, the unwillingness to change, and some of the things that he's he's doing offensively. I think they need to send him back up to the booth. I mean, especially now with Flacco there. Um, and I think with Flacco out there, ironically, maybe not ironically, but I, I think that the offense is going to look better because I think he's going to take the checkdowns. But I also think that he is going to help Michael Floor. And I'm not saying Joe Flacco's an elite quarterback um, or even a, a very good quarterback, but I think he's a competent veteran. You saw it last year in the New England game. Uh, this is a better offense than Adam Gase's offense. I'd be, su- uh, I'd be surprised if he starts this Sunday. I bet you it's well, I don't know. It's probably going to be Mike White because he's coming in here in the middle of the season. I know he has some experience in the Kubiak um, system, but we'll see. But I think inevitably when, when Joe Flacco plays, I think it's going to help Michael Floor out as a play caller because he's going to take the, the little things. He's a veteran. Um, he's going to probably establish a bit more of a rhythm in the offense because they're going to move the ball. And that's going to give LaFleur a chance to kind of get more comfortable as a play caller. Um, and also, I guess the other positive is that Zach Wilson, like Sam Darnold, got to do his, his rookie year sits a few games, watches a veteran, gets gets a chance to catch a breath, you know, really study the playbook, watch his first few games, and then he gets to come back in. I mean, it's like a mini offseason. And it's also the other thing with rookie quarterbacks is from, you know, last fall through all the football season, then you're training for the combine, then you have the combine, you're doing workouts, and then you go, you get drafted, you're right in a mini camp, then you're in a training camp and out in your season. So it's giving Zach Wilson a, a pretty sizable break just to, I don't know how much he'll rest his arm, but like just to take a breath, rest his arm and kind of recalibrate. But I also think it's going to help Michael Floor out. What did you think? I know you were not a fan of the Joe Flacco move, but my biggest qualm is like, you could have just resigned this guy. I think he wanted to be a compete for a starting job. So that's probably part of it, but, um, and trading a, a six, I mean, they have a ton of picks, so it's not the end of the world, but that's not great. But I, I do actually think it's the right move. I don't hate the move. What, what are your thoughts on, on bringing in Joe Flacco? Yeah. I'm not the hugest fan of giving up a potential fifth round pick for, you know, a couple game rental and you're not trying to win games necessarily. Um, but it does make sense from the standpoint, point of keeping the offense competitive and to the point where you could evaluate everyone else on the team because I think Mike White showed he was fairly limited we saw it in the preseason and in this game Um, I mean he started hot but then he missed a lot of very makeable throws and was a massive check down king so it it would be would have been a very limited offense with him in there with Joe Flacco at least you know he can hit some deep balls he showed you that last year and like you said, he'll got that chemistry with Mims. Yeah, has chemistry with Mims. Maybe that gets unlocked. Um, he has experience in the scheme with Kubiak in 2014, um, Scandarello in 2019. So um, in 2014, it, it was seven years ago, but that was his best season with Kubiak. So, um, yeah, it definitely does. It will help the offense stay on track the next few weeks. And you know, if they think that's worth a fifth or sixth round pick, 
just for a couple games to keep the offense on track. If they think Mike White would have derailed them that much, then I think it's definitely worth it. They do have plenty of picks for sure, like you said. So uh, they can afford to lose one of them. Uh, but I, I, I think it definitely – it more so goes back to like what you said. I think this, this player should have been – whether it was Flacco or someone else – should have been brought in before the season. So you'd be prepared for this situation without having to panic and give up a draft pick. So I, I think it's more, I, I think in right now it does make sense to make this move, but it does go back to the problem, which we talked about all off season. Um, why did they not add a veteran quarterback? I think it's also a bit of um, for Joe Douglas, some Luke Falk PTSD where it's just like you saw what that did, not only just to the offense, but to the defense. I mean, it really does. If when you have a quarterback who's completely inept, and I think Mike White is probably better, but also the Patriots weren't game planning for him. Um, he kind of came in a very low pressure situation. The Jets were already getting killed. Um, so there were some things to help him, but it's like if a defense gets a chance to prepare for him, especially, you know, two or three games in a row, he, he's not that guy. And we, we just know that. Um, and it affects the entire team. It affects your defense and your ability to evaluate. I'm, uh, you know, I'm maybe, maybe this is too optimistic. And I, I know it's, you know, I, I'm, angry at the jets and i know it's positive or popular to be hating on on joe douglas and the jets right now but uh, this move i know it's kind of frustrating because he was just here and we and he lost every game and i were trading back for him but all the the effects of it and even when wilson comes back now i guess he finally has that veteran presence in his ear um i i think there are actually a lot of positives with this i think there's more positives um to bring him in than there are negatives um and i think having to watch Mike White for the next week, few weeks would be insufferable. I actually think with Joe Flacco, the Jets do have a chance to win. Maybe that sends a bit of a message that maybe not a message, but in the sense that the Jets can be in some games. I mean, Cincinnati's rolling right now. Maybe, maybe it's a trap game. The Jets are at home. Maybe they overlook them, but I think maybe Thursday night football against the Colts is a more realistic um, example where the Jets might be able to play a tight game in prime time. Maybe, maybe Joe Flacco shows out and gets the offense rolling. Who knows? Um, but I'm, I'm actually, I think this is the right move for the jets. Um, so with that being said, I guess we can talk about some other things. I mean, what were your thoughts on Wilson's performance before he got hurt? Um, I mean, we could talk about the injury itself a little bit. Um, but I thought he was actually having a fairly good game. I thought he was showing some nice stuff. Again, the Jets started slow. Uh, they at least did have a drive in the first quarter that should have ended in points. Obviously, um, there's a missed field goal in there, but, uh, the first three plays just run, run, pat or run, run, run sack, which is just what we've seen all season long. Um, it did look like it took a little few throws for Zach to get in a rhythm. Honestly, he didn't get in a rhythm until that third down flip pass to Ty Johnson. And after that, I felt like he started to, to get comfortable. Um, what were your thoughts on, on Zach Wilson's uh, limited um, playing time? Yeah, I agree. I thought he was kind of getting into a rhythm and, you know, based on some of the stuff that LaFleur pulled out later, I feel like it, definitely was on track to be a good Wilson performance. Obviously the first drive was the much he could do two runs. And then he got sacked. I don't think there, if I recall correctly, there was nobody open for him. Uh, then the next drive, they did kind of get into a rhythm. They drove it from the 25 to the 30, um, got in position for a field goal. Obviously Amendola missed it, but the flip play to Ty Johnson, that's that, you know, franchise quarterback stuff that I think got him drafted second overall that you want to see. Um, the throw that he had later on the next drive to Ryan Griffin yeah. rolling to his left on third down. That was an excellent throw. That, that's um, honestly outside of maybe some of the plays he made in the Titans game. One of the more impressive plays I've seen for him. sure. That's the stuff that Mike Mac Jones, you're never going to see him do. Yeah, exactly. So 
Um, and then obviously he drew the pass interference penalty, got them down in the red zone. So he had uh, two of the first say, three drives. Yeah, go ahead. That that throw, I mean, I don't know if it was affected by him getting hit, but Elijah Moore was open. If you watch the uh, all 22 from um, the end zone angle, not a great throw. Look, looks like the uh, Corey Davis one in Atlanta where it's like, oh, if he just leads him to the outside, that's a touchdown. I, he does get nailed there, so that might be part of it, but that probably should have been an interception. But I agree. I like he made the right move. read. There was somebody open going across the field, but Moore was open. He had his man beat. If he maybe had a little bit more time, that was going to be a touchdown. But, you know, we should acknowledge that throw wasn't necessarily amazing. Yeah, it wasn't a good throw. It did get – it was in the hands of a defender. I don't think it would have been close to being picked if um, whoever – I think it was Cole didn't get didn't get held. Nevertheless, it wasn't a great throw. But either way, two of the first three drives, they did get into the opponent territory, which is something that this team has not done this season. So – uh, they were kind of on track to having a good offensive game by the time he went out. So, um, you know, I, it, was, it was only 10 passes, so you don't want to look into it too much, but it seemed like he was on a good track. I don't, there wasn't anything atrocious and he made two really good plays. So, and he led two, uh, two good drives out of three. So um, it, it looked like a good start for him. We'll see what I, he can do. Like you said, if he can benefit from this because that run that Sam Darnold had to close 2018 after his injury is still the best run of his career, I think. Yeah. So if Wilson can benefit similarly, I think that could be beneficial for him. Yeah. That run Darnold had is probably the best quarterbacking play. We've easily the best court. Well, I guess McCown came in. I was going to say since it's Patrick, but um, yeah, you're definitely hoping for that type of run and, and maybe a little sooner because like I said, when he comes back, if they, put him in in that Miami game first. He has a nice little stretch there um, towards the end of the season. It gets a little harder playing Tampa Bay and, and Buffalo again, but there's a nice six game stretch there where he's going to come back that I think he can really do some damage and buff his numbers, buff his confidence. Um, so that's the only reason that the jets are, are worth watching. Are you at the point yet where you are cheering for losses or are you still kind of of the mindset where it's like, look, we've done that so many times. I think it's probably just best for player development and the mentality and the culture, whatever, that they just try to win as many games as possible rather than worrying about a draft pick. I'm definitely not going to cheer for losses this season just because they already have the quarterback in place. I think last year the motivation was getting Lawrence, but I also don't think um, not, not that I won't be cheering for wins, but I'm not going to be invested to the point where it's like, let's go. We got it, right. you know, just like game planning and looking at all the matchups and being invested. I think we're kind of past that point with this game. Um, so it's it's kind of already, which is depressing with 11 games left, but it's kind of already at the point of just like, you know, I'm just watching. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm going to get to the point where I'm cheering for losses unless it's like at the end, right end of the season, which I don't think we're even going to have to with with playing Tampa Bay and, and Buffalo. Um, I think it's just best for everybody involved if they, if they win as many games as possible, which I know is maybe an unpopular take, but it's like, I mean, every single year since, well, I mean, 2016, we've been cheering for losses at the end of the season. It's like, how much has that gotten us? Obviously it got us a high pick, but I think, I think the jets are still going to be picking high regardless. I think that Seattle pick, we'll see what they do with, with Gino whenever Russell comes back, but that should be a probably a mid late round. Um, first round. I mean, hopefully that's like a late teens. I think that's a realistic expectation for them. But right now, if they lose, it'd be top 10. Um, I, yeah, I'm not at that point yet. I think the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on was um, I, I obviously still very much believe in Robert Sala. I think he was the best hire they could have made. Um, I think he's 
you know, done some really good things in, in terms of establishing a culture. I mean, him and Joe Douglas both took uh, Joe Douglas more so, but arguably the hardest job in sports um, and turning this franchise around. And I think Sala is the man to do it. And look, I mean, San Francisco and look, I know Kyle Shanahan's come under some, some criticism because he only has one winning season. That's a talk for another day, but same system, same scheme. Um, they were awful this first season and it wasn't towards the end of the season where they started to get it going. And then second year, they, kind of kicked it into gear. And then obviously the third year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, but there are some concerning things, I guess, about Sala in terms of it does feel, and I guess maybe this is more of an offensive uh, philosophy. So maybe this falls on the floor, but again, it's Sala's team. He's not just the defensive coordinator. It's, there's a reason he's the head coach. It does feel like the Jets are, are playing not to lose. And when you look at like what Dan Campbell's doing in Detroit, obviously they lost, but it was a close game. I mean, they're going surprise onside kicks. They're going for it on fourth downs, faking punts. When you see that type of attitude, I think that does a lot for especially a losing team that at this point doesn't have much to play play for. I guess kind of what – obviously, we're both big solid fans and believers, um, and I do think he's going to write this ship. But kind of what have been your thoughts on, I guess, the mentality and mindset of, of a uh, Robert Sala team through six weeks? I think the one criticism I would have – and I'm not too hard on Sala right now because – I think there are a lot of areas where coaches get blamed for things that they shouldn't um, because, you know, it's not his fault that guys can't block guys can't tackle, can't make throws. Um, obviously the defensive play calling was an issue and we don't know for sure how, what the, you know, the balance is between him and Ulbrich in terms of how the defense is being called and um, game planned. But I think one of the biggest thing that problem I have just with the mentality of this team is while I do think they play hard and they don't quit, we've seen, you know, we saw two good comebacks against the Falcons and the Panthers. Uh, while I think those things are true, this isn't really a team that plays with a ton of edge. They're not really a physical, intimidating, imposing team. And I thought when we got Sala, one of the big, most appealing aspects of his profile was what he was most known for was that tenacity and that energy on the San Francisco sideline. And I thought he would bring a good balance of that and the main thing that he's brought here, which is that positivity and just his very cerebral and very smart outlook in terms of building chemistry and camaraderie, all those things, which he continues to preach. And I think all that stuff is great and you do need it. But I thought we were going to get a good balance of that and old school aggressiveness and grittiness, a good blend of those two things. But we've, we're really getting, I think, very much leaning into that, you know, kind of composed mentality. And it doesn't seem like because him on the sideline, you know, he'll hype guys up when they do when they play well. And I don't need him to be chewing guys out, but I would like to see a little bit more energy. You know, I feel like he was always yelling, screaming. And it's different well, that he's the head coach now, but I just feel like this is well, a team that doesn't know, fully embrace the all gas, no break mentality. Well, that's a fair point. I think and you in San Francisco, all the yelling and screaming was positivity i mean he never really did that out of anger it was always celebrating and let's be honest the jets haven't had much to celebrate and when they have i feel like that energy's been there you know obviously we've seen him yell to the refs a few times his post-game press conference he's dropping curse words but i understand what you're saying i mean and there's that line of and i think rex definitely crossed this when they started to lose of when you're too much of a player coach when you're too player friendly at a certain point, they tune you out. They stop listening. I mean, it's always easier to start as a tough, you know, hard-ass coach and then get easier as the season goes on than kind of do it the other way. 
Um, but he obviously had that interesting quote, which I think is, is right. And in the short term, it might not. Um, but he essentially was just saying, look, if you need, um, I'm going to mess this all up, but I'll paraphrase. But it was essentially just saying, look, if you need me to yell at you when you're getting paid a King's ransom to play a child's game, I mean, you just, you have to be internally motivated is kind of what the point is. And when you see teams, when you see like cultures and teams like the Patriots who are just consistently good, I mean, obviously this year is a little different, but <clears throat> they still drop 54 on us. When you see teams that are just consistently good, no matter who's out there, whatever changes happen, whatever injuries, there's a mentality there. And I think that's what Saul is trying to establish because in the short term, guys like, you know, like you've seen Jim Harbaugh do this in the NFL, where it's like in the short term, those guys come in and they light a fire or Greg Williams, for example, but guys tune that out after a certain, you know, after a certain while. So it's just like, I think he's trying to instill that, that self-motivation. And if you can have a locker room full of guys who have that and don't lose that winner, you know, win or loss, that's how you build that culture. So I think if he feels like if he's yelling constantly, you're not really building a culture, you may get some short-term results, but at the end of the day, it's not going to matter if the jets are going to go anywhere in the future, if they're going to need a locker room full of guys who are self-disciplined and self-motivating. And, and maybe that's a reason why they, you know, have guys like Denzel Mims in the doghouse. Obviously, it's pure speculation, and he's getting more run. But I think they're trying to establish a culture of the guys who have that mentality are the guys who are going to play. Um, but would Denzel Mims benefit from a Bill Parcells type, you know, verbal assault? <laughs> Probably. But I guess you know everybody needs to be coached differently, and I think that's something Robert Sala will learn. But I understand his his mindset. Um, it's just how is he going to execute that? I mean, if if guys are still and look, there's been no issues with the guys showing up late or anything like that that we saw during Bulls or Rex, but still, it's game six. But if those types of issues start to, to show up, especially as they lose and guys know you as a player-friendly coach, I mean, how are they going to respond? I guess I guess their discipline is, is benching and not letting him play, but I think that's something to monitor. But outside of that, it's like, I really think Saul is the guy. I don't think any of the fire head coach after six games talk is warranted. We kind of knew it was going to be rough. I didn't think it was going to be this rough, but we knew there was going to be you know, some growing pains. Um, but I think it's going to be worth it in the end. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And I think that's the right mentality for the most part, because like, I'm definitely not a fan of, you know, old school style coaching, like what Joe judge does. I don't think Dan Campbell's going to be awesome. Um, I'm not a fan of that style yeah, of coaching. I, I, and, and I don't think Dan Campbell is actually fully. Old well, they had a couple of fake punts. That was great. No, but Dan um, Campbell is like a pretty positive. Uh, he mixes in the, the negative he's kind of what you were talking about earlier because dan campbell is not a uh, a complete hard ass i would say i mean he's a he's a former player i guess he yeah, he did kind of learn under parcells because he played tight end under him but he dan campbell is not a complete hard ass i wouldn't i wouldn't lump him in with with joe judge just in general i'm not a fan of that stuff but <laughs> i i just i just think a little bit more from style like the quote from morgan moses where he's saying that guys weren't happy that the Patriots are running up the score on them. I, I really don't like that, especially from a veteran in the locker room. Uh, I don't think it's a good sign that that's being said because no one should have that mentality. Well, Sala um, doesn't. That's not what Sala said. Because like, afterwards, Sala said, um, I think on the Michael K show, again, I'm going to butcher it, but essentially like it's the NFL. This isn't, you know, an unfair matchup where it's like Alabama playing William Mary. Like he said, I probably wouldn't have done that, but if we can't stop it, like he had a, he had a much different approach to that. So I don't think that's as much on him. Yeah. So ultimately I'm not too upset with Robert Sala. I just think a little more tenacity at times would be good, but you know, it also doesn't matter 
what he chose to us. I think people read into too much what's said at press conferences, expressions on the sideline. You know, these are the exact things I'm reading into right now. Um, like we'll read into that, but does that stuff really matter in terms of winning games? No, it's how he communicates with the players in the locker room, all the stuff behind the scenes. So I don't know. I just feel like I feel like he's done a pretty good job, but uh, a little more tenacity would be good sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think. And you might see that a little bit. We'll see if Dan Campbell does inspire um, a little bit of a, a more mo- not even modern, just more aggressive approach. I would like to see the Jets. I mean, look, they have a great special teams coordinator in Brent Boyer. And I, how many fakes have we seen? We've seen that one against Jacksonville. And is that it? And our entire in Brent Boyer's entire tenure. In terms yes. of fake, fake puns, yeah, like fake, but like just getting, yeah, getting creative on the special. I mean, look, it's a little different when you have Thomas Morstead and not elite super athlete Braden Watson Mann. And Edwards did one that one time. That's what I was saying. I think that's the only one. <laughs> it's like the one fake punt against Jacksonville, which really probably should have been tackled, but he kind of just got bounced um, to a first down. But I, look, I, I think there's just an overall mindset, especially on offense. And this might fall more on Michael Floor, but they're playing not to lose. I mean, the first down running, first down is is a great opportunity to pass the football. It's the easiest coverage you're going to get. And look, if you get a completion, even if it's not for a first down, you still set your, yourself up second and short. You're moving the sticks. Then you can run it. Now you're either first down or third and really short. Uh, oh, that's another thing. I, how predictable are the Jets on fourth and one? I mean, everybody knew. I think there was a timeout maybe in between or a commercial break or something. But everybody knew that in between, when it was fourth and one, that the Jets were going to run it right up the middle and get stuffed. It's like – do they only have one fourth and fourth and one play? It's the same one they've been running since preseason. It got stuffed there. It got stuffed uh, against uh, Atlanta. It got stuffed against, it got stuffed against Carolina or new England. I mean, it's gotten stuffed multiple times this season. Yeah. New England was another one. And it's just this, it seems virtually if it's not the same play, it's the same concept. And it's just like, guys, you got Greg Van Roten on the interior of the offensive line. You don't have Becton. I guess Zach Wilson was injured at that point, but get a little creative I and mean, look what the Patriots did on fourth and one where they did just that little cheeky rollout right to the flat, got the one yard. It just seems like there's a, a lack of aggressiveness or innovation that I think, and a complete um, presence of, of stubbornness that I don't think that we thought we were going to get with the floor. And it's very Gacyan, which is concerning, but again, like a rookie quarterback, it's such a young staff that you hope he gets better. And I think he actually will get better as he is a veteran quarterback in there to, to maybe, iron some things out. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, I mean, Jesus, how important is CJ Mosley to this defense? I mean, the difference between the first five games and this last one, it's just night and day how much he does. And for anybody, look, I mean, we'll see if the Jets are even somewhat competitive when CJ Mosley's on this team, and it probably will never make that deal worth it. But CJ Mosley's doing his damn best to make that $18 million contract he's getting paid worth it because I don't think there's a single player that's as valuable um, to this team as CJ Mosley is. I mean, it seems like he's literally doing everything for that defense. And the minute he's out, it's just, it's not even this, it's not even close. They didn't look like, they looked like the third string unit. And when CJ Mosley is out there, they looked like a respectable defensive unit. I mean, I guess you've had a chance to, to go back and rewatch. What were the biggest things that you were noticing when CJ Mosley wasn't out there versus when he was? everything just falls apart and we always talk about the communication how he gets everyone lined up and stuff and that sounds like cliche sometimes but in this game without cj mosley out there we saw how all that stuff comes into play the first drive they give up you know a trick play touchdown and they gave up multiple more trick plays throughout the game um but the linebackers in place of him were just absolutely awful i think 
the linebacker performance in this game was the worst performance by an individual position group on this team this year on offense or defense. Um, just consistently missing tackles, overrunning plays, um, plugging the wrong gaps against the run, getting washed out on blocks at the second level. And it was everyone. It was Sherwood, who, you know, unfortunately is going to miss the rest of the season now, which is awful for him and just another blow for this defense. Quincy Williams is Quincy Williams has made some big uh, big plays this year, but he botches a lot of plays for every one big play he makes. I think he gives two or three back because that's just how he plays. He goes all out. So if he hits, he's going to hit really hard, but it's going to lead to a lot of misses too. This was probably his worst game. Um, Noah Dawkins, Delshawn Phillips, Blake Cashman can't stay on the field. And he had that one play. I forget what it was. Was it on Mac Jones? It was on yeah. Mac Jones, right? Where he had a clean shot on him and just they, they threw completely... it back. Yeah, they threw it back to Mac Jones and he just got his ankles broken. But they did make the stop. Yeah, that that was rough. So um and it's gonna be tough going forward. Hopefully Mosley's back this week. It looks like Jared Davis is back in practice. Um, so I, I'm excited to see those two guys finally get to play together. We never never got to see CJ Mosley and Avery Williamson together. Hopefully the curse of the linebackers finally ends we could see the two starting linebackers the Jets wanted to have actually play together um, but those guys were awful in this game and just overall from front to back you could see the impact of not having Mosley's leadership in there yeah I, I think as I said I, he's easily team MVP um, through the first six games there's one other guy I wanted to talk about and you mentioned him a little earlier and obviously when Carl Lawson got hurt the the pressures and the ability to run this defense and affect the quarterback took a big hit, but John Franklin Myers was making a lot of noise the first few weeks. Rightfully so he he got that contract the last few weeks. He's been quiet. Do you think that's just, you know, the life of a defensive lineman where you are supposed to kind of lose more reps than you're going to win them. Do you think the offenses are keying in on him more? Do you think he's just in a slump? I mean, because he has really done nothing outside of that one pressure you mentioned um, the last two games. Yeah, it's definitely been, a little bit of a quiet stretch for JFM since signing that contract. Um, but I, I think it's not something to be too concerned about because defensive line play is kind of a big body of work position. You know, like it, people will praise a player for getting eight sacks in a season. That means he gets one every two games. And a lot of times you'll get two, three, two or three of those sacks in one game. So two bad games for a defensive lineman, I don't think is ever something to be too concerned about. And I don't think he was that awful against the Falcons this game. He's very quiet. Um, But the rest of the defensive line, like I said earlier, was this was their worst game. I think against the Falcons, they were winning battles, but the Falcons just got the ball out really quick. And this one, they just weren't winning. They were getting shut down. Obviously the Patriots got the ball out quickly through a lot of screens, but even when Mac Jones did have longer dropbacks, they were just getting completely stonewalled. So um, this was a rough one and the defensive line and the pass rushes, probably the number one thing that we've hung our hats on in terms of having long-term pieces develop this season between Huff, Franklin Myers, Foley, Quinn Williams. Um, and this was a very bad performance from them. So yeah, stuff like that is what makes games like these bad, not even necessarily the final score. Obviously that's ugly, but even in games where they've lost the other games, they lost this lost this season. There were very good performances from young players that you could say, all right, the team's not, all together right now to compete and win games but 
Bryce Hall played good. Franco Myers, Huff, AVT. And AVT was good in this game. But, you know, you had multiple individual performances to feel good about. But in this game, there was pretty much absolutely nothing other than probably AVT. Yeah. So <laughs> Michael Carter. Um, so defensive line, bad performance by them. Yeah, and that includes Quinn Williams, who is going under the radar right now because of all the other things happening. But I, I know he's he's had some great games, and he has some great games where it's a little more quiet on the stat sheet. But, again, the last two weeks, it's like haven't heard his name called at all. I mean, it feels like he's had an extremely quiet season. Or even last year where he would he didn't really have as many quiet stretches last year, I felt like. I felt like he was consistently making an impact. And this is a better defensive line and a team that's theoretically playing better coverage. So that's a little surprising, but I guess offenses are just getting the ball out a lot quicker. And so we'll see, you know, obviously there's plenty of time for the rest of the season. Foley Fadakasi is the one guy that no matter what, I feel like every time he's on the field, I at least kind of feel his presence, even if he's not getting a sack. Um, He kind of always seems to get a a good amount of push on that defensive line. Um, So, but he's, even then he's not really supposed to be the star of the defensive line. He's more of a role player. Um, but yeah, extremely disappointed in the defensive line's performance um, the last few weeks, even if it's not as much their fault, um, because that Titans game was just so impressive. And then since then, it's just been um, pretty quiet. But we'll see. Obviously, they get the Bengals this next week who are rolling right now. They don't have an amazing offensive line, but it hasn't really mattered. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have been lighting up defenses. This will be a nice test for Bryce Hall, see how he holds up against a, another young player in Jamar Chase, but a guy who's just absolutely dominating everybody he plays. Um, so that's about, I mean, outside of the black uniforms, which we, of course, now we don't get to see Zach Wilson, in the black uniforms for now. Um, that's about the only interesting thing to watch, I guess, from my end is how does the offense look with, uh, Joe Flacco, if he plays and if he doesn't play, then I guess it's just Bryce Hall versus Jamar Chase, um, and watching the young guys. But, um, yeah, my interest in the season has significantly waned after Zach Wilson going down, but obviously we'll still watch these games, Michael. We're, we're prisoners. I mean, until the Jets win a Super Bowl, I think we're stuck here. Um, so that, that just... is a really good way to describe it. When you're a sports fan, you are a prisoner because you're not going to stop because eventually your team's going to do something good and you don't want to miss out on it. So you have to stay invested for the good stuff to matter because if you, you can't just quit and then come back when they're good because then you're not invested and it doesn't, it, you don't enjoy it as much. So you have to actually care about the bad stuff to truly enjoy the winning. So you are a prisoner to the ups and downs of your team. Yeah. It's like, it's like the end of the dark night when, when the Joker is basically just saying to Batman, you and I are destined to do this forever. And that's kind of how I feel like, it just feels like that's what the jets are saying to me is that we're destined to, it's just the cycle. It's just get our hopes up, absolutely crush them, be completely embarrassing. Show us there's an even newer uh, rockier bottom under no underneath the rock bottom that we thought we knew then build our hype back up. The draft in the in free agency is our Super Bowl. The hype builds through training camp. That first game is loud as hell at MetLife. And then, of course, then they obviously break your hearts again. And it feels like we've been in that cycle the last 11 years now. So um, I guess that'll do it for us, Michael. Anything else you want to touch on um, after this absolute shit show? Well, we got the black uniforms coming up. Joe Flacco wore them <laughs> this very is a, nicely this, last year. This is a fashion podcast. <laughs> this is now a Jets fashion podcast. We can, re, we can rebrand. Yeah, I guess we have that. And they wore the all white. Like you said, if they wore white and green, they were absolutely getting shut out in that game. Um, and then, yeah, then they got Thursday Night Football oof, against the Colts. That's just another. I think I actually think that Colts game is going to be fairly close. I have, I have a feeling. I think this Bengals game is going to be pretty awful, but I think that Colts game might actually be kind of close. I don't know if they're going to win it, but I, 
like New England last year on Monday Night Football, I actually think it'll be a pretty entertaining uh, game for for Joe Flacco and the Jets. Uh, and now we just wait for Zach Wilson to return. Um, so yeah, I guess that'll do it for us. You can follow us at TYJ Pod on Twitter, Michael Michael underscore Nanny, and myself at Ben W Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best Jets content. They're sticking. We and Jets X Factor, we're all sticking through this awful season, and hopefully they uh, they turn it around. I mean, I can't imagine the numbers that this podcast and Jets X Factor will be doing when the team is actually good because I got to say, Jets fans have to have the best fan base in the NFL. I don't think it's even close. I mean, they're they're bad right now, so they're going under the radar. But they, the fact that we have this many diehard Jets fans and even all the podcasts and blogs and stuff that exist about this godforsaken awful team, um, that's that's just a testament to to the true colors that. Um, that we bleed. So um, once this team gets good, I'll, you know, it'll all be worth it. But for now, it's just, we are prisoners. Maybe that should be the title of the podcast. What do you think, Mike? We are prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> Help. SOS. <laughs> I already SOS. used the, I, I already used, one. I already used the out of gas break. Um, one that I had held for a little bit. And so now I have to think of new puns. Uh, until Zach oh, when, when you said that, I was picturing my mind naming the whole podcast that. I think I that think would that be would pretty be funny. Well, and until he gets fired, until if, if Robert Sala were to get fired, it's a little negative. I like cool your jets. I think it's, it's apropos, but uh, you know, I told you, we used to have those debates where you would name them. You would name the podcast episodes, like something very, it was very, you, it was very analytical, like what we talked about a lot, but it would be like, um, can Jamie and Sherwood step up this week or just like something. And it'd be like, all right, people click for Zach Wilson. So let's just okay, name it. Why fully fought Acosta's <laughs> run defense is the difference maker in third preseason game. So we, we've clearly, if you look at all the, the name pie, I think it's just Zach Wilson on all of them, except maybe there's a few Robert Sala sprinkled in. So with no Zach Wilson, we're going to have to get creative here, Michael. So we'll be enlisting your help. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, obviously, we appreciate your support. The Jets don't deserve us, but we'll be back later this week. Go Jets. And everybody, please, if the Jets are getting blown out, turn the game off. Go enjoy your Sundays. Do something with your life um, until the next, until Thursday, I guess. But when Zach Wilson comes back, then you can sit through all four quarters. But until then... The Jets don't deserve us. What else are you supposed to do? Be outside? Go outside. Go for a, a walk. Who does that? <laughs> you can go for a run like Robert Sala. You know, I don't know, normal people things. Go to church. <laughs> pray to whatever God you pray to, to to fix whatever whatever curse is on this damn franchise. All right, let's get out of here, Michael. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a great week.